annoyed. <laughs> no, you're effing annoyed that they're not F five effings. Yeah, because you're not following our Hello and welcome to episode 207, the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. It's Saturday the 2nd of March, I hope you've had a good week and you're well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host Ian Truscott, I'm not a rock star but I'm a three-time CMO and trusted marketing advisor and with the help of my chums share the marketing street knowledge that I hope will inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello, you can find links to me and my guests in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com or on LinkedIn at rockstarcmo and we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This week, Jeff Clark and I are diving into the demand unit waterfall to see if this Forrester concept is still relevant today and in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar, I'll join Robert Rose for a cocktail and a chat about trust and awareness. Which would you choose? But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right, it's time to drop in for my free consultation with our resident strategy advisor, former Forrester Research Director, Jeff Clark, in our marketing studio. Hello, Ian. Come on into the marketing studio. Thank you, mate. How are you this week? Uh, doing well. Doing well. Jolly it's, good. Uh, it's been a busy good. week. Lots of things going on, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, hanging in there. Mm-hmm. How about yeah, yourself? Yeah, same here, same here. It's been, yeah, same here. It's uh, kicking off with quite a lot of client work and stuff, so which is always lovely. Uh, and also, um, I can't remember if I've, if I've mentioned it on this podcast, but I've mentioned it just about every bloody where else. I'm also writing a book, which is quite a lot of work. <laughs> so, so I'm doing that as well. Good but, luck yeah. with that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, yeah, it's based on our work. And so I'm grateful for your contribution of uh, yeah. five yeah, F in marketing fundamentals. I'm so. looking forward to the royalties. Oh, we we haven't had that conversation, have we? <laughs> that, my friend, assumes there will be royalties. <laughs> royalties to be shared. All right, buddy. Well, how's the how's the weather over there? The weather, uh, bright, sunny, windy, and cold. It's like nice. it, it's it's you know it's looking. I mean, it's the last day of February in a leap year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And when you look outside, you're like, oh, it feels looks like kind of a spring day. But then you step outside and you realize it's, it's cold. cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. This is an extra day today, isn't it? So we're spending yeah. podcasting. Yes. No, no, here I'm bored of saying it, to be honest, because every time we do a recording at the moment, it's gray and miserable here. So, uh, yes, another gray and miserable day. Thank you. <laughs> I think, you know, I think that's why the English became such great mariners because they probably said, we got to get off this island and go someplace warm. <laughs> I think you're probably Let's right. Let's go to India. Oh, Jamaica. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get on to the marketing topic. So this last week, uh, we were talking about uh, revenue operations uh, and... uh, we were we we were we are constantly referring to work that Forrester has done. But yeah, so on that particular point, we did. But where you can't really talk about um, demand generation or revenue or anything, and Forrester without the term demand unit for waterfall coming up, right? And um, luckily, we successfully avoided diving into that last week of describing exactly what that is. So we said we'd do that another week, and this is the week. This is the week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, it sounds a bit like a classic analyst term of redefining the category or something or it creating is. a practice around something <laughs> you might already be familiar with. But I think as we were chatting, I mean, we chatted for ages before I hit record um, to 
me, I mean, the comment I made was, it seems such common sense, but that sense isn't necessarily common, right? So, so, so I think that's it. So, what say you, Jeff? What's this demand unit waterfall thing? Well, it is. Um, I I totally agree with you that you can. Um, we can dispense with the the nomenclature because mm-hmm. essentially, a demand unit is an opportunity, but it's an opportunity before perhaps before the sales world sees it. So it might be, mm. you know, zero stage, however you want to define it, but it's got no monetary value. It's not in a pipeline, but it's an account and it may have contacts, but it eventually it'll have contacts and interactions and stuff thing attached to it. So mm-hmm. it was a way of talking about how, you know, marketing should be looking at developing and, and uh, you know, enriching and qualifying opportunities as opposed to, leads yes thus coming up with a different name but again the yes. the demand unit is uh it, se- <laughs> it seemed very seemed very techy or very yeah yeah anyway i think so but i mean like um i think i think most salespeople would love to have an opportunity waterfall wouldn't they get a lot more excited about that than demand <laughs> unit waterfall. absolutely absolutely <laughs> but so um so i think and i think this really and then the reason why we're talking about it i think it really jives with what we've talked about recently right so on episode 202 we were talking so it sounds to me like this is like a shift in focus when we look at the sales and marketing funnel to the very top of that right so i think you just said zero stage opportunity right it's and it and it's yeah, so and and I think episode two hundred two, we dived into the research from Six Sense. We've also talked about the fact that ninety five percent of your audience aren't in market. Blah blah blah. There's a big bucket above that traditional follow funnel, right? Yes, as we as one point, <laughs> I think we said it's kind of like the sink that yeah. hits the drain, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the drain yeah. is the traditional funnel. Yeah, but yeah, there's. I mean, there were a couple innovations in in um, thinking about this or the, mm. this way of thinking. You know, one is that. Uh, Marketing is tracking opportunities, not leads. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I should say, not that we're not tracking leads, but the focus is on the opportunities, not the leads. Mm-hmm. And the second is you're starting your funnel with the accounts in your target market. So again, you can mm-hmm. defend, define that a number of different ways, but you're, you're, you're building up the funnel and, and th- thank goodness we have, um, you know, the technologies that enable you to, to do that, uh, mm-hmm. these days, but it, you know, it helps. Marketing and sales have the same interest in language, creating opportunities, mm-hmm. you know, enables secondary leads and any other kind of interactions and new contacts that come in to like be attached to something as opposed to being dropped by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's size to an extent sidelines the conversation about who sourced the opportunity because right. it's like, you know, yeah. once you realize that, you know, the, the buyer's doing their research, there's multiple people at the buyer. They're talking to multiple people. They're going on websites. It's like, well, who sourced it? Well, it's like, who cares? Because mm-hmm. what we need to make sure is we're working together to pull that thing in. Mm-hmm. And uh, most importantly, it enables the company to understand its ability to penetrate a market, right? You know, if I start with a target of, you know, uh, you know, target accounts, or if I start with a, a market that has a particular size, shape, and characteristic, mm-hmm. and I and I look at how we're doing at bringing opportunities in and closing them, then I'm seeing how well I'm doing in the market. Right. Perhaps vis-a-vis competitors or just vis-a-vis what we've been doing in the past. Right. And um, I know from our conversation just now and from the notes that you've developed six fundamentals, which obviously I'm completely fucking annoyed about it should be five <laughs> no you're effing annoyed that they're not f five effings yeah because you're not following our editorial policy but we've had a serious discussion about this and there are definitely six <laughs> so they better be bloody good uh, but you've got you've got six fundamentals on this sort of new view of demand so what's your first fundamental of this the first fundamental is you got to identify the target accounts or the accounts in your whether you want to call it your total addressable market or your serviceable market it's like yeah you you want to say you know and this is and, and and obviously companies that have multiple types of solutions or products you're going to have multiple funnels because you have, might have distinct markets mm-hmm. but it's it's you know it, it, matter of fact what was interesting is that i think when this concept was originally being hatched it was like well let's there's must be a better way to track demand in an account-based marketing selling methodology you know so i got mm-hmm. you know defined whatever 2000 accounts you know how by doing it bringing those 2000 accounts 
you know, into clothes. Um, but as they worked on it, it's like, and they created this concept of the demand unit or the opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, geez, this really applies to almost any organization, any organization that can do a really good job at saying, this yeah. is the size and nature, uh, a distinct number of accounts that are within this this market that we're going after. And you could be, I mean, it really could be, you know, there's thousands and thousands of accounts out there. Uh, and as long as you can define them and and start to set up the top of the funnel where you're going to be start tracking the, you know, your ability to bring people and convert them to the various stages, then, um, you know, then this applies. Yeah. We don't really do ourselves any favors here sometimes, do we? So in that, in that sentence there, we're talking about accounts. We're talking about demand units. We're talking about opportunities, right? So I think that one of the things we need to do if we're going to implement this in our marketing team is agree which one of those fucking words we're going to use. Yes. Right? So that sales understand what we're talking about. Um, but you also mentioned ABM there. So this, I mean, we've talked about, I mean, it, it you have to go through the basics don't we? But we've talked about this before, about targeting accounts, your, your, your addressable market and stuff. So how, how, how is this different from ABM so far? I mean, and also we've, we've kind of just, we're not really on the ABM train, are we? Because we just think it's good yeah. B2B marketing. How is yeah. it, how's that different? Well, I, th- I think this is operationalizing good marketing. Mm-hmm. Whether the accounts are specific in name, or whether there's a definition that say, if I'm going after hospitals in the United States, I know there's a distinct number of them. And I, uh-huh. and, and I, in my research, part of one of our five mm-hmm. fundamentals, my research, I should have identified what that, what that world looks like. Mm-hmm. And, and I can, cause I know companies that have, that actually have done this with U.S. hospitals. They've actually mm-hmm. created zero, you know, value opportunities. Right. Um, that are zero stage opportunities with those account names, you mm-hmm. know, firmly attached. And of course, some hospitals, because their networks might have multiple accounts with them. So, but anyway, they've, mm-hmm. they've established them in their CRM system. So now I'm going to start tracking, you know, my target accounts mm-hmm. and I'm going to bring them all the way through. Uh, and like I said, even if, even if you can't literally identify all the company names, you've, right. you've started with the idea that I've got a market of a certain size and nature that I'm going to be uh, attacking with my marketing. All right. So uh, this is this could be a bit of a rabbit hole because I've already talked about um, terminology here. So are we saying a demand unit? In this, let's say in the case of a hospital or a large hospital group or something like that, that's the demand unit. But it might be they'll buy three different things from us in three different buying centers, and they they would then be three different sales opportunities, right? So is this how we break down whether something is an account, whether it's a demand unit, or whether it's an opportunity? Or no? (laughs) (laughs) Yes and no. Uh, I think that uh, that is an excellent question and and (laughs) something that that an organization has to come to grip with. Right, right. And is how do you define an account? Yeah. And, um, and certainly an account, mm-hmm. uh, could have, um, and you, maybe you didn't know, you know, it's like there's a hospital and then you realize, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I didn't realize, but there's actually three buying centers within the hospital. Yeah. So yeah. now we've got potentially three different opportunities, but then it's like, oh, but one buying center is going to buy one solution this year and yeah, next yeah. year they may buy a different solution. So that's actually two different mm-hmm. opportunities. Um, so it does, it does morph and splinter. Mm. Uh, but again, if I'm thinking about my market penetration mm. benefit, I name you know I mentioned at the beginning, it's like I, I'm I'm starting yeah. to understand how I'm being penetrating the market, and then ultimately, as I know more about the account, yeah, then I can understand more about how I uh, right. have more of the share wallet share within that account. Right. So I think it sounds to me like of all these words we've been using, demand unit and account are probably the more interchangeable words. And account-based marketing is more of an intentional targeting of those accounts. Whereas what you're, what we're saying here about um, this demand unit waterfall, we're not really saying this is an approach to marketing. This is just a way of like um, counting almost can, or the be, way we associate these things yeah, yeah it could be more i think the thing mm. is it can be more flexible than um, yeah, okay. than if you were in a strict named account right. abm model it's yeah, yeah. it's more flexible than that 
Okay, all right. So that's number one, which I thought we'd skip past really quickly, and that's my own fault. So if we get to number two, so what's the second of your six fundamentals? Well, is you got to create a funnel view that starts with those that target market or that okay. those those target accounts. So we're we're trying to demonstrate in our demand funnel. We're basically, you know, the typical demand funnel was, you know, we start when we perhaps when we have a marketing interaction, and then we see yeah. how we convert to those to leads and qualified yeah. leads. No, 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 no. So we're actually going up a couple steps and we're going to say, mm. I'm going to look at the target man demand at the very top. And obviously the, the easy, uh, example is the company I was thinking of when I was talking about there's, there's, there's only like, uh, I think there's like 800 some hospitals in the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I am, I'm starting with 800 hospitals yeah. and then, and then I'm going to see how many of those, you know, we'll start talking about the next stages, but you mm. know, and what gets us there. But you know, I want to see out of that target market who's shopping who's active, Mm -hmm. and then ultimately I'm going to take it down to who's engaged with us. Mm -hmm. So I'm really adding three, or sorry, sorry, not. I'm adding two layers above a funnel that we would typically look at that starts with a marketing interaction. Yeah, which has some of that ABM proactivity about it, doesn't it? In that you're saying, rather than being completely opportunist, you're saying, like, there are 800 hospitals. These are, this is our target market, and we're going to map that, right, in that above our funnel so that we can so we can map our 95 percent 95 five rule or whatever it is that happens to be in this this particular industry that yeah, we're and, in right and you hit you hit the nail on the head with the the why this is really just good marketing because yeah if, if you're just looking at it from an opportunist standpoint hey whatever comes in we're going to run it mm. down it's like well you're not really you haven't done the research and you haven't understand mm the market you're going after well enough to be able to be effective in in building your story and the process that brings these companies into close. Yeah, and sometimes you've got to know who you're saying no to as well as saying yes to, right? So if you're opportunist, you're trying to be everything to everybody and all that stuff. So, But we can, that is definitely a rabbit hole. (laughs) That's definitely (laughs) a rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so that's, that's your second. So we map out this funnel and we, we go a bit above where traditionally we have as marketers. So what's number three? So this is, this is where the, um, the model is more operational. This model is more operational than mm. I'd say if we went 10, 20 years ago is that we can use our intent marketing tools to know when accounts become active when they're right. in the buying phase. So, you know, whether you're, looking at people hitting your website or whether you've used, uh, you know, third-party uh, platforms to, mm-hmm. you know, like a G2 or Tech Target or whatever to mm-hmm. source the fact that, oh, people are shopping for particular solutions. Mm-hmm. And now I can, you know, I can pull that intent data in uh, or, you know, use, uh, you know, some other you know, AI tools that are out there that, that are sort of yeah. just pulling from all kinds of areas and, and, and saying, well, it looks like this company is in the market, uh, then, you know, that helps us say, you know, out of that target market, target market, we actually know that X percent of those accounts, or we know specifically, you know, mm-hmm. the set of accounts that are actively looking for a solution. Yeah, and that's so critical today, I think, as well, because a couple of things that have come through in our discussions recently on the podcast has been one, the thing we just alluded to just now, which is that, you know, only 5% of your potential market. I mean, I, that will, that will vary between categories, but let's imagine it's, it's a big chunk, isn't it? Our active. And the other one was from the six cent data was that only, is that they're going to be doing their own research, right? Before they even contact you. So, that's the that's our opportunity here, isn't it? We need to find that intent data, find those people that are researching so we can influence the decision before they come to us and say, oh, we've got our short list. <laughs> or yeah, they don't yeah. come to us because they say we've got a short list, right? So I think yeah, <laughs> you have so our short list and you ain't on it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know who you are. So I think that's interesting. And I think um and I also what I I think one of the things we sometimes touch on with this bit, isn't it, is that traditional b2b marketing so much of the budget and focus isn't on the on this bit which is the long bit it's on the short bit which is the is which is on oh somebody has downloaded a white paper or they've done so we're going to then get go to nurture or invite them to an event and all that kind of stuff yeah that takes up 60% of our 80% of our our marketing budget whereas we should be putting a lot more focus and, into and, this area 
and that download might it might be too late in your cycle because they're oh, just pulling yeah. they're just pulling the content from the competitors that they chose yeah. not to look at. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, the other oh my god, this is a rabbit hole we could go down and definitely need to talk about is is it's understanding whether this is intent to buy or intent to educate because you could actually be downloading white paper and you're really early in the process and you are actually doing that research or you're downloading the white paper as a signal to say pick you know we're pick picking me. you come yeah. talk to me yeah yeah all right so um that's your third so we're using intent marketing tools which i think is absolutely fascinating and it's that dark funnel thing as well that I t- we've talked about on the podcast before as well uh so number four what's your fourth yeah so and this may sound um <laughs> this is like it's a little bit of a so what uh but you have to integrate your marketing tools with your crm system because the the you know if the idea is we're tracking opportunities and we and and somewhere in the stage whether it was at the very beginning or whether we started to see intent signals we've set up a zero stage zero value opportunity so mm-hmm. now i need to be able to uh i need to be able to know when we've interact I- interacted with in any way shape or form again whether it's a download or whether they mm-hmm. went to a third party site i need to be able to if i find a member of the buying group within that account, I need to be able to attach it to the opportunity. So these signals are coming in from, you know, everything in your, not maybe not everything, but a lot of your MarTech stack. And so you need to be able to bring that into your CRM system. And, uh, and, and this is one of the things we were discussing, you know, earlier about yeah, this yeah. is this is kind of where you get into the, you can do the, the many to one, you know, all my MarTech stack, you know, uh, is, is, you know, hardwired, integrated into my CRM system, or you can have a separate tool like a customer data platform or an analytics tool, which is, which has already done that integration. And it's like, Oh, okay. Now I need to pull data from that into the CRM. Uh, but essentially it's got to get there somehow and it's got to be attached to the app. Yeah, absolutely. And um, th- this is quite a heated, uh, not heated, we don't really get heated. This is quite a, a bone of contention between us because I was like, I was like, well, integrate your, you know, have a CRM that's able to integrate. That doesn't seem to be a whole different step to me. But I de- definitely understand what you're saying here is the, and I think the main point of this is that we need to recognize that whether we've got CDPs or whatever other tools that we've got is that, the reason why it's the CRM is because that's our sales that's our sales team interface, isn't it? That's where they're going to be. So it might be that we as a marketing team have all this intent data and all this wonderful stuff and we've got a CDP and all that great th- all those great things. But if the sales team can't see that, then you know you've got a problem because it's not just orchestration of the it's not just holding the data, is it? It's the orchestration of that process of when something moves from something we're interested in, something that a salesperson would be interested in, right? Yeah, and and this is where you could get into some of the data management rat holes because it's like mm. the the CRM has to be the master of the opportunity. Now, yep. other tools like your customer data platform could be master of, of other data or, you know, your marketing automation yeah, yeah. system is the master of yeah. all email uh, yeah. interaction, blah, blah, blah. So different tools master different sets of data, but ultimately mm. the CRM system has to be the master of the opportunity itself. And so that's why this yeah. information needs to flow in either yeah. as, as the opportunity itself to be created, or it needs to flow in to enhance the opportunity object within the CRM. Yeah, and that's a really good point as well, because there's a lot that that's said, isn't there, about, oh, we need a customer master record. This is the truth that rules all. This is the whatever, whatever. But you're absolutely right. At some points, a system will hold the single version, you know, is the, is the, is the right system for a specific process or data point. And, and for, for the CRM, absolutely, that's where the opportunity is. What I think is interesting, and I, I sort of shared this in the notes before we, before we press record, was, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm talking with a client. They're, they're talking about product, because they're a SaaS client, and they're talking about product usage data. And there's all sorts of data points that we can now add into our marketing that help with this intent data. Because I think one of the things that we need to play a role in in marketing isn't just demand. It's also churn and, and customer re-upping and, and renewing and stuff, isn't it? So anyway, 
that's another that, that's that another is a, rabbit that's hole. A, another fascinating rabbit hole. Yeah, it's like feel like Alice in Wonderland. We can I know. We keep we, <laughs> we we're skip we're digging more and skipping over them. But anyway, yeah. so that was um so that was number four, which I which I which against our editorial policy, I allowed him because you are actually right. It is a whole another step, isn't it? That we need to make sure that what we're looking at our marketing tools is reflective in the CRM because that's what sales are going to look at. So what's your fifth? The CRM system has to be able to score the opportunity. So as marketers, uh, you know, if you go back years, um, mm-hmm. decades, as we were, we were all excited about scoring leads because we get an interaction. Mm-hmm. And then as mm-hmm. we have more mm-hmm. interactions, we can say, or as we qualify it with a BDR or something, we can, we can up the, up the score. Well, you know, so put that aside and focus on scoring the opportunity itself. Because remember, the idea mm-hmm. is we start with a zero stage or a zero value opportunity. And now we're going to, as we as we ingest all this information about, oh, we got two new members of the yeah. buying group. Oh, you know, they went to an event. Oh, they did this. They downloaded yeah. a paper. Those are all things that we can use to score that opportunity. And this, so four or five years ago, I, re- I remember doing a workshop on this whole uh, model with a, one of my colleagues and, you know, the whole idea of sc- scoring opportunities with this type of information was new mm. in CRM systems, like the big ones like Salesforce, Microsoft yeah. Dynamics, et cetera. Yeah. And, and so to do it, you actually had to customize the, the object. Mm. Yep. Uh, and, um, but, but, you know, those companies have, have become more, uh, sophisticated with mm-hmm. the object. So now you can score that. And as a matter of fact, you know, these days you can use some of their AI tools, you know, like with Salesforce, it's, you know, mm-hmm. Einstein that mm-hmm. actually can do the scoring, you know, itself so that you don't have to define a scoring logic. You can actually, you know, with enough data, um, mm-hmm. data of opportunities won, opportunities mm-hmm. lost, it, it can start to figure out what are, what are the characteristics mm-hmm. of, an opportunity that we know has a high, uh, op- a high pr- uh, probability of closing. So, mm-hmm. so it can do the scoring. And so however you, however you score it, um, mm-hmm. this is one of the things it has to have in the CRM system because then sales, marketing, anybody else who is interested, yeah. the executive team, uh, the professional service team, they can start to see uh, the results of that scoring. Yeah. No, and there's not really much I can add. To, I mean, I was thinking that four and five kind of, merged together but i don't think i don't think they do i mean there's not much i can add to that absolutely i mean um scoring these days it is so important i think sometimes though when you run an automation based on scoring you can get into a little bit of trouble i think there needs to be sort of some sort of manual oversight of that um and i and i but i think the other thing is is this isn't about lead scoring which i think is what which is an important distinction. This idea that it's in opportunity. I'm a bit more, I think I'm a bit more comfortable with the account or opportunity terminology than demand unit. But yeah. demand unit just sounds a bit kind of robotic. But, um, but it, <laughs> it's because the I think, robots control this. <laughs> yeah, scoring. <laughs> I, yeah, this isn't a person. This is a demand unit. Or this isn't an organization of people. This is a demand unit. And so, like, <laughs> and it beeps. Yeah. It's like R2D2. Yeah, I once heard I once heard people described as a carbon unit, and I was like, "Oh, that's a bit harsh." But anyway, so I think it makes perfect the, sense. I think the, so. Oh God, you're distracting me from my point. I was going to make. Oh, <laughs> yes, I think it's that opportunity point because I mean, you were saying that a few years ago the the systems were struggling with this. I can absolutely attest that. I mean, when I was at Sensei, one of our one of our struggles between using. Uh, a CRM system that sales team, the sales team was using and the marketing automation system that we were using as a marketing team was trying to get them to, trying to get that data model right where it was about accounts and opportunities and it wasn't about individual leads as in people, right? So I think that, that I, it, um, yeah, that's a, that I still think I that's just, a problem we're solving. Yeah. And, and I remember again, this workshop that I did, which I can't remember exactly what year it was, but it was probably like five years ago. And it's like, you know, you're describing this whole thing and everyone's like shaking their heads. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Get it. Get it. Get it. And then you go to, here's how you customize the, the, um, the opportunity to do scoring and people go, 
Oh shit! I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't have the person with the skill set. Or if I went yeah, to Salesforce yeah. or a, a consultant, yeah, yeah. they'd be like, "Okay, yeah, you yeah. know, that's a hundred thousand oh, dollar gig." You know? Yeah. Then nodding along, going, "Yeah, lead scoring, lead scoring, lead scoring." Yeah, absolutely. So if somebody does this, then they get this. And no, 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 no. no. Opportunity scoring. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get it. I love it. So, um, but I also think that leads on to. Well, I've seen the notes, so the listener hasn't seen the notes yet. But I think <laughs> <laughs> this leads on to your sixth, I'm pretty sure of this. Um, because I think when we're talking about the CRM, and I made that point earlier on, that the CRM isn't just about visibility to sales and this one sort of uh, the, the, the one view of the customer. It's also about the orchestration platform for what do we do next and managing that, right? So, so what's your sixth, Jeff? Sixth step is determined role definitions. So, mm -hmm. you know, marketing, sales, business development, services, et cetera, you know, whoever's customer facing, I mean, they can mm -hmm. all record an engagement, uh, but you need to avoid, you know, tripping over each other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, does the business development person reach out once there's active buying signals? If so, when do they do that? Does when does sales engaged if they haven't, mm -hmm. I mean, they may have engaged initially, but if they haven't, you know, when do they engage? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, does marketing take a role in the handoff? Uh, does marketing have a role later on? You know, is there a point? And, and this is, I mean, this is typical lead flow uh, management issue, but because you're doing it where, where a broader or group of organization is looking at one thing in one place, mm. you need to make sure you know, you go through and do your, you know, what I would recommend and, you know, what we would used to do in workshops is you kind of do a, a racy chart, uh, you know, who's responsible, accountable, consulted, informed at various mm. stages in a process and a process that, you know, may not be as um, linear as you yeah. as you once thought. It may look more, you know, yeah. like uh, like a herringbone chart, you know, where you've got mm -hmm. multiple ways of coming in and hitting to. Yeah. to Hitting until you get to a point where this is definitely of the uh, owner owned by you know that opportunity object is definitely owned by somebody in the sales organization. Mm -hmm. So um, so anyway, I mean it's it's you got to determine roles and definitions and you know who's handing off to who, uh, who's informed, and you know how are you reporting on this? It, it's uh, again yeah. typical problem, but because I think we've 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 made something that is more. Uh, visible to a broader group of people in the organization, we need to make mm -hmm. sure we uh, dot our I's and cross our T's here. Yeah, no, I like this. So this is this is about um, mapping those points of engagement, right? Where it is they're going to touch us, the customer journey as we see it, right? Mapping that, and then who picks up the ball at each of those points using this racy? And, and I love, to, yeah, I love a good racy. That's uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you love anything that's racy. <laughs> yeah, because we're the rock stars, you know. Everything nothing podcast. Yeah, that's right. Um so that's that's fantastic. So those six, Jeff, um and yes, bloody hell it is six. Um <laughs> identify your target accounts, uh or accounts, and also we had a bit of a nom 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 controller conversation there uh number two um create a view of your funnel that starts with those target accounts and works its way down and is in that dark funnel area where we don't know who they are yet number three using intent marketing tools number four integrate your marketing tools with your crm which seemed like a no-brainer to me but we had a jolly good discussion about that and number five your crm has system has to be able to score the opportunity that's opportunity not lead <laughs> and number six, determine role definitions and map all this out. Fantastic. And do a nice little racy. Fantastic. So that's, um, that's the topic done. That's your six cheeky bugger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> never been called a cheeky bugger before. <laughs> so, uh, we then move on to the song with our, our final agenda item. Yeah. The song that, uh, the winner today is mm -hmm. Waterfall by Stone Roses in 1991, a UK band. And I guess this is, mm -hmm. I don't think this is one of their bigger hits. Um, uh, and the, uh, the quote I pulled is now you're at the wheel. Tell me how you feel to lift up your lid, the lids of your eyes. It's so basically we're creating something that has visibility through the organization. So yeah, take a look. 
Keep track of it. I couldn't argue. Yeah, I couldn't argue. No, it's a classic. Um, obviously, and also TLC Waterfalls came in as a candidate there. But uh, yes. we're going with Stone Roses. So I'll play out with Stone Roses from 1991. And uh, shall I see you in the studio next week, Jeff? Yes. Uh, good show. I'll see you then, mate. Take care. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Jeff, and that's a little bit of Waterfall by Stone Roses. And if you'd like to chat about your marketing problem, get in touch through our website and you can book your session with Jeff. Right, it's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join the chief troublemaker at the content advisory, Robert Rose, for a cocktail and a marketing Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Ah, hello, my friend. Welcome to the bar. I have. I look. I so. (laughs) I know we. I know you've done a country western bar before, Uh um, but this is this is amazing because I now you've turned it into a Beyonce. (laughs) I thought you were going to mention Beyonce. (laughs) And. This I, I love how you're keeping up with the times and the trends yeah. here and and all of that yeah. um, and and I, yeah it's, this is some good stuff I I, I love this song and you know the song of course yes you know, you, absolutely you know. yeah 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 she's straight over to, to country and western which is uh, I think a, a, a genre of music you're quite, you're quite like. I, it is indeed, yes. I yeah, love yeah. country music, yeah. And then the new Beyonce song is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's a shame because you just missed her. She was just here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so in, in honour of having Beyonce in the bar, we thought we'd theme it country and western, so I'm glad you're enjoying it as well. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really good, yeah. And I'm glad that you've revisited this theme because it's a great, it's a great, it's a great theme. The sawdust on the floor and everything really works and the, but unfortunately the cocktail is not going to match at all for this oh okay um, yeah so we're not so, going to drink beer or, or have tequila here we're having a very fancy drink uh, mm-hmm. here which is called an emerson uh, and this is a it's a it's an offshoot of a martini it is a gin uh, drink Ooh. uh gin with sweet vermouth here so uh, mm-hmm. so that immediately pulls it away from sort of the classic dry martini um mm-hmm. and it's just a it's a wonderful, very fancy drink. Although you know, a lot of people say that's one of the forebearers of the of the martini. But uh, but the Emerson right. is basically uh, some good gin, um, mm-hmm. and you've got uh, an ounce, you know, or you know, one and a half parts of gin, right? Then one part, you know, yeah. sweet vermouth here, then a little yeah. bit of lime juice, like a squeeze of lime juice, and then uh, adding, if you like, you know, you don't have to add this, but you know, it's always nice, a little bit of a maraschino cherry in there. And uh, mix all that up um, into a shaker, shaken, mm. not stirred, of course. Um, pour that into a chilled cocktail glass and then garnish with your maraschino cherry and you have yourself a lovely Emerson. Oh, that's nice. Now, I used to make a cocktail when, um, oh, in, in this show and um, we killed that joke quite a while ago. But I could, make a, I could make one of these. I've got these ingredients, not on my desktop bar, but I'm thinking that this evening I may... I may go make one of those. That sounds delicious. And by the way, I imagine that Beyonce quite likes a uh, a, a nice cocktail, right? She's not going to be into the beer and the and the stuff that, of our Western bar. I think she probably kept her taste high. So I think this is probably a good drink for this bar this evening. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yes. I, it's. I think it works for the country western thing for sure. Yeah, well, especially as you live you live nearer to where you know these famous people live, so you probably know more about the cocktails they drink than I do. But yes, this Emerson sounds fantastic. And where are we going to go and drink these Emersons? 
Uh, well, I think we need to go to, I mean, so, you know, we'll, we'll risk the idea of getting beat up for having fancy <laughs> drinks and we'll find ourselves in a bar in Nashville somewhere where we can go Ooh, listen to some proper nice. country music here and, yes. and all of that. And yeah, we'll head over to Nashville and, and nice. sit on one of those bars on sixth street and just have oh, a nice time. Splendid. I think we'll be fine. I don't think anybody would beat us up, especially when the topic of conversation turns to marketing. What are we going to be talking about this week? We are going to talk about attention versus trust um, this week. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's it's a it's an interesting topic um, and one that I've just been writing about. So let me ask you a question. So yes, you have if you had to pick one. So mm-hmm. the impact of your content on a potential customer, potential yes. customer now. Yes. So would you pick deeper trust, but very quickly fading attention and recall, or? high attention, fixed attention, but, uh, a, a, but minimal, if any trust. Well, that's a hard one. Cause yeah. I now I know you thought, want both, I, but you yeah, can only yeah. have one in this but particular. Thing. I know I'm, I, I know that I'm supposed to pick, but I, I'm surprised by that question. Cause I would have thought if you've got trust, you're going to get, you're going to get some recall, but I'd like the idea of, I like the idea that I want to go for trust, but I'm worried about being forgotten. But yep. that is, I, and that is, that's the difficulty of the question, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting. And, and, and that is fascinating that you actually came up with this because most yeah. people would say exactly what you just said. Yeah. You, you'd say, well, wait a minute, if I don't trust it, I'm not yeah. going to pay attention. But if I'm not paying attention, if it's something I don't trust. And yeah. so wouldn't I get one with the other? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in fact, we don't, we, we do uh, both independently all the time. And it's mm-hmm. interesting. So Edelman's uh, yearly trust research uh, points to this, where they found that only one in three, and their exact number was 34% of consumers say that they trust most of the brands that they buy or that they use. In other words, we buy stuff all the time from brands that we don't trust. Wow. And interestingly, I can start, I, I started to think about this and I can even see this in my own, uh, my, the, 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 the nature of the question in my own behavior, right? So, I can tell you, I can recall the last email that I got from a credit card company that I use, but that I don't trust, right? Right. I read the email and I scoffed at the attempts to upsell (laughs) me on a new type of card and all this stuff. So they had my attention and I recalled that message, but I didn't care or trust enough to even think about acting on that offer. Now, that doesn't mean I'll stop using the credit card, but it does mean that I recall but have zero trust in that brand. It didn't build any Mm. trust with me at all. Now, in comparison, where I do my banking, the company called USAA, I deeply trust that brand. But I can't tell you the last marketing email I received from them. I forget all the time. But then I searched and I realized I get one just about every day. I just don't remember them. And so we have to remember as marketers that may I have your attention and do I have your trust are two very different questions. But we still tend to conflate and correlate one with the other. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. Researchers have actually looked at this, Mm -hmm. um, that we measure, you know, so we have this sort of belief that, you know, time spent with us is a proxy for trust. And that's not Mm -hmm. true Mm -hmm. because what researchers have found is that as trust increases, attention decreases. And if you think about it, it makes sense, right? As we feel more safe or secure in a probable outcome, Ah. I need to pay less attention to the actual material, right? Our guard goes down. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing when your best friend says, Hey, I'm going to do, we're going to do something new. And in your head, you just go, well, of course we are. I'm, I don't need to ask for justification or reasons to believe. You may even forget about what they said. You're just going to go do the thing. Right. Yeah. And this is what Stephen Covey in his book, great book, by the way, speed of trust talks about when he says nothing is as fast as the speed of trust. He says in a high trust relationship, we can say exactly the wrong thing. And people still understand our meaning in a low trust relationship. Mm-hmm. You can be really measured, even very precise, and people will still misinterpret you. Mm-hmm. So this idea of trust is a, is a big thing. And to me, it comes down to this idea of focusing in our messaging around balancing where it is and really putting weight because obviously we do want both right we we absolutely do want both we want attention and we want trust but when we have to weight 
our content these days, and especially in a in a world where we're trying to pierce the noise and be more provocative and be more clickbaity and all those kinds <laughs> of things, we really have to put it through the lens of is this going to instill more or deeper trust with our audience, or is this just us grabbing attention? And if it's the latter, we really need to rethink what we're doing with our content. That. I love that because that i mean you know we i think we've talked about the resistance to things like vanity metrics and stuff like that but you're actually undermining a a much harder thing to measure but a much more important thing in a transactional relationship which is trust by getting more attention right that's what you're saying isn't it i mean if you if you're getting lots of attention it may be this is a low trust relationship but all the things we measure as a marketer tends to be attention that's right yeah we tend to focus only on attention and not on trust Yeah, yeah and what happens i think over time it's basically uh you know we need to it, it it tends to decay over time, right? We start, you know, we start going, well, this got attention. Great. So that worked. But this got more attention. So that worked. And we start decaying and decaying and decaying. And pretty soon we're not setting trustworthy experiences anymore. We're just grabbing attention, right? And so there is a real need and a focus to put on, you know, to, to make sure we're not letting that sort of decay over time. Yeah. But but this must be a I mean in your consulting business this must be a hard this must be a hard sell into organizations when you're when they're looking at their success metrics and their dashboards and they're looking at essentially vanity metrics how do you measure trust and how do they then express that within the business say don't worry <laughs> there are fewer web hits on our website but we're ga- we're gaining trust yeah. I mean, it's, it, yeah. it can absolutely be measured. It yeah. absolutely can be measured, but it's, 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 it, it, and it is hard. I don't want to pretend that it's mm. not difficult yeah, yeah. because there's an irony there about the fact that trust is a cumulative thing, right? Yeah. In other words, trust only deepens by being continuously trustworthy, right? Mm. It's not like it's an on off switch, right? Yeah, yeah. In other words, you only build trust to whatever level you need by being by actually demonstrating trust. Mm. And so it's an interesting thing for for so what we have to realize is that there is value to content beyond clicks and attention and engagement, right? Yes. In other words, if I create a piece of content and it basically people forget about it or they 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 get it and they they trust it but there's no action to it, that doesn't mean that it didn't create value. Mm. And it's a hard thing to do. And we need to create measurement programs around this. Like, well, what did they do? Did they respond to it? Did they engage with it? Did they, you know, what, you know, how did they Mm. value it? Do we need to ask them if they valued this? Mm. You know, there are all sorts of things that we can do because it's, it's, it's really difficult, but at the same time, if we only look, it, this is the classic example when, you know, often I'll talk to a, a client and I'll say, you know, they'll, they'll have in the right rail of their blog, quote unquote, the most popular, uh, yes. you know, the most popular, basically blog posts that have been clicked on the most, right? Yeah. And of course, they look at that as a, what people are interested in and engaging <laughs> with as a level of this is yeah. what they love about us. And now, yeah. of course, that's not true. It might be true, but it's not indicative of being true. It's just what's most popular, which, of course, is a self-fulfilling prophecy. By the fact that you're featuring it, it becomes more popular. But additionally, it could also be that people are sharing it because they hate it. And they're basically encouraging everybody to go, look at this ridiculous thing that people are putting up, right? In a similar way, attention is the same way, right? We can garner tons of attention that where attention is high, the attention metrics are high, but the it's the wrong kind of attention right yeah and so we 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 tend to correlate attention with good and it yeah. isn't always true so we need balances of content of of experiences that elicit deeper trust that may not be that yeah. popular yeah i had this um i had this kind of conversation actually uh, fairly recently which is uh, a discussion about some data that said that if you put a misspelling in your uh, in the title of uh, in the subject line of your email, it's more likely to be opened. So your open rate goes up. 
And I said, yes, but your trust would go down because they're going to think you're a fucking idiot. And they just open the email because they want to see how much of a fucking idiot you are. So that's not good. But your open rates are up. <laughs> right. So I think. That, right. That's think right. It's such a it's such an important thing to consider is 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 this making me look more or less trustworthy? Or am I trading trust for attention? That's exactly it. Yeah. I love this. I love this point. And uh, yes, they're wonderful. So um, where can people find very trustworthy things? Well, uh, they can find it on our website, which, of course, they'll find at contentadvisory.net. Splendid. And have you written on this topic on your rose uh, colored glasses? Uh, yes, uh, I have indeed. This is a, this is my latest post actually on rose colored glasses on content marketing Institute site. Excellent. So I shall include a link to that in the show notes. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs and they want to connect with you, Robert, where are they going to find you? They'll find me at LinkedIn. How you find me on LinkedIn these days. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. They'll find me on LinkedIn, I, and also, of course, uh, I would encourage everybody to look at our podcast, my my little podcast with Joe Polizzi called "This Old Marketing," yes. where we talk about all sorts of fun things. Excellent. Yes, and it's now on video and shorts and all sorts of things as well, so people can easily find you on the YouTube's. I love that. All right, mate, and most importantly for me, old school. Will you be in the bar next week? I will. Thank you, Robert. Kicking off there with such a great question. Awareness or trust, what would you choose? And of course, a bit of Beyonce, Texas Hold'em. And I'm looking forward to the cease and desist letter for using that. So that's a wrap on episode 207 of the Rockstar CMO Everything Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks to Jeff and Robert for sharing their insights. You can find links to them, their work, and the things we discussed in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our blog, newsletter, and all of our previous episodes. And thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. I'd love to hear from you. So please say hello via the website or drop us a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I will be discussing some lessons in MarTech. We've learned the hard way. I'm looking forward to that discussion. And Robert will be back in the virtual bar with a fresh marketing thought. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you join us again here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.